podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Ready to go the extra mile in a Volvo Mild Hybrid SUV this summer? No plug-in required. Whether you go to the mountains this summer, the ocean, or somewhere in between, Volvo Mild Hybrid technology adds to a more refined driving experience so you can summer safely. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com. Hello and welcome to Pardew's Hot Pants, the spin-off Ooh. from Nostalgia. <laughs> oh, that was an interesting noise. Sorry, um, that was a cheer. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I forgot about the cheer. We could maybe we could do a different style cheer on the uh, on the Pardew's Hot Pants than we do to the main pod. Um, maybe any do a dance. Won't work, will it? Doesn't really work on audio. <laughs> no. no, no um, anyway, this is, of course, our Nostalgia spin-off from the main FYP podcast. And on today's episode, we're talking about Daylight robberies for and against Palace, uh, which is going to be very interesting to do it. I, of course, I've got my hot pants buddies, Richard Foster. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Oh, Richard, <laughs> Richard Foster and Jesse Boyce. Richard, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. I'm not sure I want to be known as a Pardew hot pants buddy, but, you know, let's run with it. Okay, yeah, I, I, I instantly take it back. I'm, I apologise. Um, thank you. And Jesse, how are you doing? How do you feel about being a hot pants buddy? Instantly uh, open the new document to start working on some hot pant merch with the FYP logo <laughs> on the backside. <laughs> That's a great idea. Ooh. Yeah, we definitely I mean, need to do that. I don't think you'd be persuading, JD. I think you'd dive straight into that. <laughs> you know me too well. Um, good. Well, listen, this is our fifth episode, our fifth volume of Pardew's mm. Hot Pants. We are, we're racking them up already. And I have to say, the feedback so far has been really nice. I've had a lot of messages from people enjoying these dips into nostalgia and as i said on the previous pod i think we're going to try and continue this spin-off uh once football comes back which it is richard in a couple of weeks two, almost two just over two weeks in fact is the plan um how are you feeling uh well yeah i mean sort of it's been it's been weird this period because it's almost been stress-free so i don't get worried about oh what's going to happen on saturday or sunday or whatever it might be and it's you know you, you sort of get used to it and as um i adopted eintracht frankfurt as my bundesliga team <laughs> uh, and they started really badly but the last two games they've won two away so uh i'm 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 sort of into the bundesliga what's this premier league stuff um but it, very excited that Apparently, our game against Bournemouth is going to be the first BBC live programme on Saturday the 20th at 7.45. And it completes a double because that will be the first time that the BBC have broadcast a Premier League game live ever. And, of course, our game at Selhurst against Bournemouth was the first time that Amazon had ever broadcast a Premier League live game. So those are the nuggets out the way. Sorry about that. I just, I just need to, you know, I, don't, I need to share it with everybody, and now I can shut up. Straight in with two nuggets. I'll be disappointed Absolutely if they that. don't add some super re- I'll be disappointed if they don't add some super retro graphics to the BBC. It's got to look like Dickie Davies era production. <laughs> yes. 
they must do they surely need to really roll back the years I'm looking forward yeah, to that I want to I'll... see some sort of some sort of Jimmy, Jimmy Hill hologram and, yeah nice you know just really really just maybe put put Lineker in some sort of anchorman outfit or maybe get Des Lyman back yeah yeah well, we'll see what happens. It is very exciting uh, that the football is coming back. Of course, it does throw up the question of season tickets and prepaid match tickets that people have already paid for. And we, we sort of talked about this on previous pods about what Palace are going to do, what, what all clubs are going to do. And they have released um, their options. And there's actually an article, obviously we're sponsored by The Athletic, there's an article on The Athletic by Matt Woosnam talking about what clubs are doing in general, actually, and sort of ended with a poll at the bottom of it. And um, I don't need to tell you, of course, that The, the Athletic are a world-class team of writers covering every club, including the best coverage of Crystal Palace. Subscription-based website and app, completely ad-free, no pop-ups, no no uh, annoying ads, just brilliant articles. Welcome to New Home of Football Writing. And if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can still start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription which is just £2.50 a month. And Matt's article is interesting, and there's a lot of, actually, articles, not just on Palace, but on all clubs, uh, which, of course, are covered on The Athletic, on what they're doing with their um, season tickets and what the plans are to recompensate fans for this weird time. Guys, have you seen... Jesse, have you seen what Palace's plans are, or would you like me to give you a really swift recap? I have seen... um... I sort of felt it was slightly overcomplicated. Um, and there's been a bit of conjecture about what's the right thing to do, um, deferring to the following season, the academy, the foundation, or straight refund. I think that's a good kind of summary of the four options, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, you, can, you can have it refunded, straight refund. You can donate to the Palace for Life Foundation, which is obviously in a charity that we support a lot on, on the podcast. You can have it held as credit for next season. Although, of course, the question there, guys, is what's happening with next season? So that, you know, that yeah. already throws up more questions. And then they've added in this new thing where you can become an Academy founder member and your money can go towards uh, the club's Academy. And there's a variety of benefits you get with that, including a tour of the training ground, a season ticket to the under-23s, um, have your name listed on the wall at the reception of the Academy, which obviously is something that Palace have ploughed a lot of money into. Jesse, where's your? Do you know what you're going to do with yours? Have you got any inkling what you're going to choose? I haven't actually. I actually haven't. Um, I do feel for the club though because this is just another layer of admin they could do without, and um, you know they probably w- wouldn't want to do any of these things. To be honest, I think it's just the amount of admin involved in. It's, it is a really nice offer, the academy package, but it's just a load of admin they could really do without. Right? It's just creating extra work for somebody. Um, I just, I mean, it's, at least it's better than what Sunderland seemed to piece together. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah. So, Sunderland won't be re- refunding. It's, they, they basically give you a stream pass, but it's only for home games and there's no refund uh, for season ticket holders. So it's a tight spot for the clubs really. And um, I don't envy the sort of, um, yeah, the, the administration involved to sort this out. I haven't actually decided what to do yet. About you guys? Well, um, uh, Richard, I think I'm I'm probably going to take the refund. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously, loads of people are in different financial situations. And as I said before, I, I think I may have gone for the credit for next season. But 
we don't really know what's happening with next season. You know, there's, there's rumours that that might be pushed back or fans won't be allowed in stadiums till next year. So it is still difficult, isn't it? And Jesse's right. It is a, it's a difficult situation for the club to be in because I guess it, there's, there's not really a right answer out of this. And as you said, loads of people, supporters-wise, will be in different situations. Yeah, that's right. And um, uh, let's face it, the Premier League club, are in a, a fortunate position in the, the vast majority of their income is actually through broadcasting and that's why they're desperate to come back and, and bring it on television. Um, I feel for the lower league clubs, particularly the lower you go down the pyramid, the more important match day income is. And, you know, League Two basically is over and they're going to have the playoffs and they're going to do it on points per game. But they've, you know, the vast majority of the clubs have lost the majority of their income so i i do worry about that and um i think palace's situation you know as as jesse says you know they've come up with a few ideas i think it's fine uh the admin is going to be a bit of an issue i think the academy is a good idea and obviously a charity the, the palace for life foundation is good um it's actually a friend of mine who um, has a season ticket he's he's decided that he's going to get an academy guy to come and mow his lawn so that's, you know, a fifth option. Right. So um, maybe that's the way to go. I, I do, as say, my main concern is the lower leagues down the pyramid. And I really fear for, that some of those clubs are not going to survive this. And that is going to basically take away the foundation blocks of football in this country. And, you know, you, we've been in the Premier League for a while and that's fine. But always think about the ones lower down because they're the ones who are going to struggle. And once they start, you know, falling by the wayside, then it really does affect the whole of English football. Yeah, there's another article in The Athletic where they speak to a guy called Adam French from the from Witch, you know, the consumer rights group. And he goes into a big explainer about what to do if you've bought your season ticket for next year but, but want to get a refund or your club's not offering a refund like Sunderland and you want one. So it's a really good explainer there. Uh, essentially, it comes down to the fans are in the right and you can take your club to court, although I can't imagine many fans will do that. But what Richard's saying there, Jesse, about the lower league clubs is interesting. Should there be an option for you to donate your money to a lower league club or, 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 you know, use it to help clubs in a worse financial situation than Palace are, who obviously, you know, for our lifetime have been in financial difficulties numerous times, but we're lucky enough now that we're in a time where Palace are, you know, more than self-sustainable and doing okay. Should maybe that money be going to smaller clubs? I think Richard's bang on that it's, it's just become a more sense. It will be a more sensitive issue the further down the pyramid you go because of the, the bottleneck of money for broadcast in the Premier League. Um, I don't know. It's just, it just feels like, like everything else involved in the restart initiative. It's just complicated. It's just, there's no, uh, everything around the, the testing capacity and are we, is that taking people away from hospitals um, around the, playing in neutral grounds to avoid fans turning up at stadiums. It's, it's just complicated in so many ways. It's just a, yet another thing to address. And it, it's the time of year. Well, we've kind of passed it now because it, it's kind of close season technically. Um, but it's, you know, the, this is, this whole period coincided with the time when they are about, they probably were about to press the button on launching their renew campaigns yeah. for the new season. And so it's just, it's the amount of energy and planning, the amount of things they must have got printed to put into people's letterboxes to help them renew. They probably got canned. 
Uh, it's just so much work, money and time and effort's been wasted. It's you can understand club at any level just trying to consolidate what they're doing in terms of their, their ticketing uh, to try and claw back what they've already lost. So I, I think it's it's just there's no winners here really. I mean it, it's it's even causing, on, albeit on a small level, it's causing a little dilemma for all of us, isn't it? We don't know what the right thing is to do. Um, but and everyone's in different situations. Everyone needs to do what's right for them. So it's just an for me. It's just another example of something that we've got to sort out in a, a very frenzied time period. Yeah, it sort of sums up twenty twenty, doesn't it? Perfectly that. And I guess Richard as well. Like there'll be people listening to this, as I said earlier, in various situations of you know finances. And I don't think anyone should feel guilty. As I said, I'm going to take the refund probably because I'm you know I'm a freelance performer who you know a lot of my, my gigs have disappeared but the anyone should feel guilty if they take the refunds but if you're in a situation where you can give that money to the academy or to palace for life then brilliant but as as jesse said everyone's situation is different i just i know like sometimes and it's not palace fans i'm talking about here but like f- football fans online can be very quick to kind of point fingers at each other and you're not a real fan you are because you do this and whatever i think this is a situation where we all need to accept that everyone's in difficult situations and whatever works for you works and and not to feel guilty about you know whatever you choose bearing you know the refund yeah um and i I totally endorse what jesse said because how you we've never had this before you know how do you you don't say oh well when this happened last time this is all new and it's you know they're making it up as they go along because they don't have a precedent and they can't say oh well this worked last time so you know, of course, it's uh, it's a response to something that has, you know, never, ever been experienced by any of us. Let's face it. You know, they're, they're, I know people say, oh, well, World, World War Two, but this is a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. it is, you know, I hate, I'm not going to even use the word, but you know the word I'm going to... Does it begin with a U and end yes, in precedent? Yeah. <laughs> That's the one. Um, and, you know, I think... Any club that is responding, I think Sunderland have stepped out of line there a little bit, and I think that's not right. Um, and it'll be interesting the next episode of Sunderland until I die. But um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I, I, it's really delicate, and you know, obviously Sunderland are now a League One club, but we could have been a League One club, yeah. you know, if things had gone slightly wrong at Hillsborough, whatever it might have been. Just think about that when you're considering it, and. As you say, it's a personal choice and, you know, I'm a freelance like you, Jim, and, you know, income is, let's let's face it, a little bit rare these days. So, you know, totally understand whatever decision is made, it's a personal decision, it's your life, you know. It's not something, as you say, oh, you're not a proper football fan, you've given a refund, you're going for a refund, that is a load of horse manure. <laughs> well censored. Um... Thank you. Okay, well, there's, only, there's, there's only one solution, Jim, and it is unprecedented, but it's Kevin and Enders doing a pay-per-view Zoom call modelling FYP hot pants to raise money for <laughs> non-league clubs. Exactly. It's, there we go. We knew that's where, we knew that's where it was heading. But one thing, right. one, one thing I'll say, which I heard in the news, is apparently, because they were, they, were, they were saying that the Premier League are putting money aside for the EFL clubs. Apparently that's not true. Now, I happen to know, don't tell anybody this, but the Premier League have a cash reserve fund of over a billion pounds. So why aren't they 
at least apportioning some of that, and that's a lot of money, and it would mean a lot to the you know lower league clubs. Why aren't they apportioning some of that down the line? And I, I just find that I only saw that story. I think it was either earlier today or yesterday, and that does worry me. Yeah, it seems like an ideal situation for clubs to big clubs to help the rest of, of football. I hope that is the case. And you know, again, this is an ever-changing situation. The news seems to change day by day. So hopefully we might see something like that happen. But in the meantime, you can read about that uh, with Palace and with all the other clubs uh, in the Premier League and beyond at The Athletic. And of course, if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash FYP, you can start a seven-day free trial. But if you haven't done that yet, where have you been? Um, and receive 50% off your yearly subscription. And I would say at the moment, much like us delving into these nostalgic episodes, the nostalgic coverage on The Athletic in the last few months has been excellent. So well worth the money. After the break, we're going to pick our favourite ever Palace Daylight Robberies. Stand up, baby! Let me see where you're coming from. Stand up, baby! Let me see. Hey! My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to Hardy's Hot Pants, the nostalgic hey. spin-off from FYP. And this week's theme, chosen by Jesse Boyce, is the excellent daylight robberies for and against Palace. And this is something I think, actually, Jesse, that lots of football fans can relate to. And I know we do have some listeners who actually aren't Palace fans, and there'll probably be podcasts up and down the country. Uh, well, we said it before, haven't they? Well, they'll be saying this is typical Stockport, this is typical Man United. I think we all think the same thing. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting theme. And for your we're going to start with robberies against and then go on to robberies for, because I think there'll probably be more people screaming examples of robberies against. You've gone for a, a, a pretty painful one. Well, just on the theme first, I think I've listened to a lot of football podcasts and even the most professional ones, I feel like are starting to scrape the barrel to the point <laughs> where they've run out of content or ideas and they're just addressing things no one cares about, or they've just started to interview each other now. I. I like Max Rushton, but he's, they started interviewing all his cohorts about their life stories. I just think, I just can't listen to it. It's a bit disappointing. So I just just tried to think of something a bit different. And um, yeah, I just feel like Palace fans, you feel hard done by. There's definitely a few. It was hard. I think we've had a little chat between us and we found it hard to think of the times where we benefited in a daylight robbery situation. But I have less trouble thinking of where... Uh, we've been we've been the victim. Um, is, I mean, before you go on to your example, this is obviously going to bring up probably a few emotions for people listening, and you know some painful memories. But Richard, that's what you know being a football fan is all about, especially being a Palace fan. 
Well, yeah, um, the agony and the ecstasy, if I could throw that in there. there we go. I, I, I must say, <laughs> I must say that um, I can't watch the game that Jess is about to talk about. I, I still can't look at it. And I, I, I was tempted when Jesse suggested this, and I just thought, no, I've done enough crying in my life. I'm not <laughs> doing that again. So, anyway, over oh, to wow. Jesse. What a setup. Come on, then, Jesse. Well, first of all, I was just thinking about the amount of home games at Selhurst, especially those hostile atmospheres where you just feel like the ref was trying to piss you off on purpose and just blow his whistle because you'd called him something. Um, and I, I remember we played the last time it must be the last time we played Scarborough was it the year we went up uh, or the year before that they were just time wasting at, 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 at the nth to the nth degree it was just so painful to watch and there's some examples of those where I can't remember who we played or when but I just feel so hard done by in so Scarborough. many games when did we play Scarborough? not Scarborough the other one that sounds Scunthor. like Scarborough Scunthorpe oh there was when, was, we, there when was, we lost 4-0? Mm, no, no, no. It was like one, it was like a classic smash and grab 1-0 <laughs> or something. And they, their goalkeeper was taking, just dragging everything out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, anyway, a cut to the chase. It, clearly, the most uh, sort of ragged we've ever felt is when Mark Clattenburg ruled out Connor Wickham's advantage to go on and put it into the bottom corner at Wembley in 2016. Yeah, and I, I read an article recently enough um, where he's he's actually got tattoos, hasn't he, from all the three finals that yeah. he's that he's refereed. But I think he's made mistakes in all of them. <laughs> the, so and he's admitted to it. Yeah. So in the Champions League final, which was the same year, uh, mm. 2016, he realised at half time that Ramos, Sergio Ramos's goal was offside. Uh, another first half mistake. He's just so whistle happy. Um, and then went out the cheek to go and get a trophy tattoo on his arm as well. So <laughs> I just, and we've seen him admit that there was a little bit of a to do, wasn't there, recently where someone slid into his DMs and he reacted and he admitted that he made, made a mistake. Have you not ever made a mistake, whatever he said? I mean, it's just so hard to live with because, A, because Connor went on to put it in the goal, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and it was the first half, it would have given us something to hang on to. And you know the rest is history. Punch and parties, dance and everything. But it just the beginning. It was just where it all started to go wrong. It was Mark Clattenburg um, being the being the star of the show? What do you remember about that? Yeah, well, I I, I remember the the whole game is a is a day, is a robbery. Really, I think Clattenburg not just that goal, but his performance in the whole game. There's a really good interview with Jason Punch and. Um, on Alex Howe's YouTube channel. Alex used to be one of the mm. presenters at Palace TV. And Punch is really emotional about that day and, and he gets quite angry reliving it. Obviously, sort of the goal and being angry at not starting and yelling at Pardew, but he talks about Clattenburg and he's, you know, he, I think he calls it the worst refereeing performance that he's witnessed as a, as a player. And he talks about how there were loads of Man United players that should have got more yellows that didn't early on. And there was um, the goal, the Wiccan goal. And it was just, from a player's perspective, it's interesting to hear someone actually repeat the same issues that we had you know it turns out actually the fans aren't that far wrong a lot of the time when they're moaning about a referee I think with Clattenburg it was just the smugness with everything on that day and since really no apologies to Palace fans not that that would really I don't think paper over the cracks you know there was a photo from the pre-game Richard of him 
being all pally with Ferguson and laughing and joking. That was before the match. And you think, come yeah. on, have some integrity. You know, you're about to go and referee Palace's biggest ever game, really. So I feel like that was, it's a good example of a robbery because I feel like Clattenburg, it's one, you know, it's literally one person, I think, took away a lot of joy that we could have experienced on, on that day. I still remember it, you know, I was there with my brother and my dad and a lot of my best mates and we had a brilliant day and the fans were unbelievable and singing, you know, um, Abide With Me before kickoff was really, you know, tear-inducing. It was a great day. It just, it was ruined by one man and it was, it was a robbery. The chummy, yeah. the, the, sorry, just, uh, yeah, the chummy chat he had with Ferguson is the, the sort of archetypal hallmark of a daylight robbery, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it is, especially in front of the TV cameras. Um, and then it, I do, I have a good, a good memory of the goal when they've equalized. And um, I just remember Rooney going on that little winding run. It was diagonal. Uh, I just, just, Wish Jedi had taken him out when he had the chance. But yeah. he really did exactly the right thing. Just, just, just took all the attention of our players, started ball watching him, and then he just put it to the back post where Wardy was standing off. And uh, yeah, it, you know, it went downhill from there, didn't it? Really. Oh, sorry, Richard. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, the, the Ferguson picture. I mean, if you're an experienced referee, let's face it despite the fact we don't like him, Clattenburg is a very experienced referee. You don't cosy up to, you know, one person who is most associated with that club. That is just a no-no, absolute terrible idea. And it just sows the seed in your head, doesn't it? You're thinking, well, if he's so pally with Ferguson, maybe he's a little bit partial to Man United. And, you know, the Wickham thing, I totally agree. I've got to say, and I don't want to be controversial here, I'm not sure De Gea stopped. He didn't, he didn't try to save that shot. And I, whether he'd heard the whistle or whatever it might be, I'm not sure if he'd have reacted the same way. Anyway, that controversy out of the way. I also remember the fact that Joel Ward in the first half was bombing down the right-hand side, and he did exactly the same thing. He didn't play advantage and he was in a really good position. He could have crossed it and Clattenburg pulled it back for a foul on Ward. And so that's two examples. Mm. Obviously the Wickham one stands in your head because he actually scored, but the Ward one was just as bad actually. And, you know, punching, I, I listened to that interview and he is rightly emotional about it because that is a classic robbery. And, you know, Clattenburg will never, ever, ever have any of my respect ever i mean uh, referees have a really difficult job don't get me wrong and i've berated them because i'm partial but clattenberg in that game he committed a robbery and there's no way you can argue against it i've never heard anyone argue against it. even man united mm-hmm. fans would admit it yeah agreed well let's move on then oh god it's quite an emotional one to start with isn't it blimey um yeah. let's move on it's just it's, it's emotional because we could have won that. United were not a good team, and we could have we could have won that, and that, that's and we did come close to doing it. Anyway, speaking of referees making poor decisions, Richard, let's move on to your robbery. It's actually two robberies, but they're very similar, and they do involve referees, don't they? Yeah. So we've got um, two goals, ghost goals, 
And I was actually just doing my research, as you have to. And the Eurosport had uh, the top 10 ghost goals, and we got two in the top 10. <laughs> so good on us, yeah? Typical I think panic. we're the only team to have two in the top 10. So the first one, this is for the old generation, was Clive Allen, who just joined us. So this is in 1980. So the team of the 80s were already looking a bit thin because we sold Sanson to Arsenal. Clive Allen came the other way with Paul Barron, but Clive Allen, he was a teenager at the time. And we were playing Coventry early doors. So uh, 6th of September away at Coventry and Allen put this free kick in beautifully into the corner, hit the stanchion, came out, all the Palace players celebrating, referee, looked a bit confused, went to his linesman, as they used to call them then, and disallowed the goal. And everyone just went, what? How, how could you dis... You, you look at the video and you look at Clive Allen's face, incredulity is, you know, it's epitomised in what... How could you do that? And the thing with that is, it was the start of our worst run ever in top flight football. We, we lost seven games on the trot. Wow. That was the first one we'd lost. And in the end, we lost 3-1. But if he'd have scored, you know what it's like. Uh, the flux of the game can change. And we finished bottom of the, the old first division. We only had 19 points, which is the worst level of points in the old first division. So the Premier League is obviously smaller. This is when there were 22 clubs. 19 points. We only won six games all at home. So we hardly got a point. Remember, it was only two points to win. We hardly got a point away. And and that set us off, and that's a robbery. Because you can see quite clearly, and John Watson on, on Match of the Day went, what a tremendous goal, great strike by Clive Allen. And then he went, oh, hang on a minute. And, you know, it was just wrong. And so that was the first one. The second one was just, you know, the almost 30 years later, Dear old Freddie Sears. Who remembers Freddie Sears? Yes, I do. Yes. I do. Yeah, probably for this know. one moment. Well, for this one moment, away at Bristol City, who we have a bit of an issue with nowadays, don't we? Um, so it was 2009-2010 season. That season that ended at Hillsborough. Oh, yeah. This was again early on. It was actually only the second game of the season, 15th of August. And Freddie Sears was played in. He was in the penalty area and he just um, put it past the goalkeeper again hit the stanchion came out and the referee goes oh no it's a goal kick and it, again absolute incredulity he goes over to see his assistant and he goes yeah okay it's a goal kick and I remember Warnock was the manager at the time and he went Warnock ballistic I mean seriously ballistic and I, I actually wrote down a quote of his where he said um, everyone could see it went in. It's absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how they keep their jobs, me. He's talking about referees. I feel sorry for the players, for the fans who travelled. If it happened at the other end, there would have been an absolute riot. But as it's only us, it just gets um, washed away. Good old Warnock. Remember him when he's, he, he rants. Freddie Sears, I checked his record. Do you know what? He was on loan from West Ham. He played 19 games for us. He didn't score a goal. He did not score a goal. So how, you know, how does he feel? You know, talk about robbery. That was, again, a robbery. And it was important because 
Bristol City actually scored in the 89th minute to win the game 1-0. So if Sears' goal had gone in, again, we don't know the flux of the game, but we could have probably got a point, maybe three, and then we wouldn't have had the Hillsborough drama, would we? Because we'd have had enough points to be above them. But with this, we were stuffed. So, you know, all that Hillsborough stuff, and obviously it came out okay, and, you know, we we rebounded, and 10 years later we celebrate that game. We might not have needed it, if the referee had had any idea that when the ball goes in the goal and hits the standard and comes back, that's a bloody goal, not a goal kick. Well, so, yeah, well, it, would, it would never happen now, would it? Of course, with, with goal and technology, that would obviously exactly. be a goal straight away and there wouldn't be an issue. And I remember, Jesse, actually, sort of growing up, uh, with not with a bit before my time, but knowing about the Clive Allen goal, and I've seen it a few times. I remember thinking, well, that would never happen now. Like that, that, that that's, a, that's an 80s incident that would never happen now. And of course, then the Freddie Sears thing happened. And it was almost identical. Although it was, it was even more crazy with Sears because the goals they have uh, at Ashton Gate at that point are the European-style boxy ones. So there is no stanchion in the top corner. The only place in the goal it could possibly bounce off and go out again is that bar at the bottom that holds the net down. So the sheer physics for it to do that and bounce out is absolutely crazy and poor Freddie Sears his career actually has gone downhill since if playing for Palace in 2010 can be considered the height of a career didn't score for us and was supposed to be you know this next bright young thing from West Ham and actually my memory of his wherever it was seven or eight games he said Richard was that he was quite good for us and was really unlucky not to score had he scored that goal who knows what would have happened so it wasn't just a robbery for Palace it was a robbery for Freddie Sears I remember. I, I think. I think that's actually quite funny. Um, to me, that, that Warnock was the manager because I think if you were to design the criteria for uh, a daylight robbery situation, you need an angry manager at the end of it to react to it. Yeah. And uh, Warnock is the go-to uh, angry reaction that you that you want in that situation. So yeah, and. I remember watching it. It was, it was the sort of thing that you remember seeing in the playground or Sunday league where you used to have nets with holes in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it went through the goal, but the ref thinks it went wide. Yeah. Like that, it's, it's something we can all relate to on a really amateur level. So, and the fact that there would have been fans who sat behind it who clearly knew it, it should have been a goal. Yeah, just absolute farce. And yeah. typical, typical Palace, dare I say. It's typical, especially then to be at Bristol City, a team who we played a lot at that point and always lost at Ashton Gate, and for them to score in the last minute, something they always seem to do again against us during that time. So very much a robbery. Before a quick break, and we talk about Palace robberies going for us, which is which is basically being scraped in the barrel. Let me read out my one, and my robbery goes back to 1996 when Palace had got to the playoff final against Leicester, and they were seconds away from a penalty shootout at the end of extra time. And then Steve Claridge pops up and shins a shot. It was a George Endar knockdown trying to clear the ball at the edge of his own box. Shins a shot that nine times out of ten would have flown into Rosehead. And yet for some reason, this one flew into the back of Nigel Martin's net, aided by the fact that I think Martin thought it was flying wide as well and sort of watched it go into the net. And I would have been 12 at this point, 12. I remember going to the game and I remember walking home down Wembley Way, crying my eyes out, which actually now I look back at the age of 12, probably should have learned by then. Um, 
Because I was devastated because I thought Palace had come so close to getting to Premier League. Little did I know a year later we'd, we'd get there in an even better fashion. And my memory, Richard, from this game was that Palace played quite well. I know they scored early on through Andy Roberts um, and then Ed Worthy gave a penalty away. I've been reading match reports and it makes it sound like Palace did okay in this game, which is why the injustice of this goal hurts so much. Obviously, the fact that we then recovered a year later softens the blow. But the reason that makes it such a robbery for me, and every time we mention this in the main pod, Kevin brings it up, is that Claridge still maintains and has done to Kevin's face that it wasn't a shinner. And that he intended it to go in that corner, which is quite obviously such a lie. And that, to me, adds to the robbery, Claridge's robbery of Palace with his shin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, having written uh, a book about the history of the playoffs, I do know a little bit about this. And I interviewed Claridge about this. And do you know what? He he admitted to me, finally, and I know Kevin always mentions it to him every time we meet him, but he admitted to me that, if you remember, it was actually a free kick. And he was so knackered because it was the last minute of added time. So 120. He was so knackered. He said, oh, wait, I, I want to get up into the penalty area. And the bloke said, we haven't got enough time. So Claridge was actually meant to be in the box. But he was so knackered that he was actually on the edge of the area because he was just sort of trundling up to get there. And that's why he was on the edge of the area. And then he shinned it. And I'm sorry, but I will not accept Claridge saying, oh, I meant to do that. It was clearly a complete fluke. Also, as I point out in my book, he wasn't wearing shin pads, which you had to do. And it was a compulsory thing in 1990. Remember, they brought it in. You have yeah. to he wasn't wearing shin pads. So that's why it had a weird trajectory. That's why it went over Nigel Martin. And that's why it's a massive robbery because it's, again, the referees against Palace. <laughs> Every no time idea. we lose, it's the referees' fault. I had no idea. Of course. I've forgotten that he used to wear shin pads <clears throat> rolled down or not at all. And yeah, of course, he just, it would never he just flown used to roll his, No, never have done it. So it's, it, you know, it's clearly a conspiracy. <laughs> we should have been up a year before. But then again... Let's look at the bright side. We had the yeah. last-minute goal in the following year, which was quite good and a well, little better strike than Mr. Claridge's. Well, in that case, just before we break them, I'm going to ask you guys for the biggest robbery. And I think, Richard, we may have answered our own questions because as, an, as bad as the Shinner was in 96, as bad as the ghost goals were, they gave us later on, six months later from the, from the Freddie Sears goal and a year later from 96, brilliant, brilliant moments. Whereas, yes. of course, we've we've had nothing from the cup final. It still hurts and will do for a long time. So, what you, I'm, I'm going to go for, I think the worst one, I think, is the cup final. I, I totally agree. And Clattenburg deserves all the uh, barbs that are going to be aimed at him from that. One other thing about the 96 playoff final one, I don't know if you remember this, but because it was so late, Martin O'Neill was going to bring on their sub-keeper because he's about... Yeah. 10 he's foot massive, tall yeah, and he was he was waving his arms about and everyone I was at the game I was thinking why is God he, we're never going to score past him he's massive <laughs> and actually there's a guy called Kalach who went on to AC Milan and won the Champions League with them and I, I just remember it so clearly just thinking we're never going to win the penalty shootout which we assumed that everyone was going to happen and then he got taken away but anyway yes Clattenburg 2016 definitely the robbery of the century Especially because he uh, then went off for a payday in the Middle East, just yeah. sw- sw- swanned off without a care in the world. Just just really just unaccountable and just deluded, wrapped up in his own image. Yeah, I, I, he just deserves all the criticism he gets in every corner. And I was going to say this. 
I was going to say the same thing about Kalac, actually. He, he did come on in the 119th minute. And I just feel like that game was set up for us not to win. The six for eight keeper coming on. Um, it's sort of a Louis van Gaal trick before Louis van Gaal thought of it. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, definitely repeat what you've just said, really. Um, I'm just thinking, as you're saying it there, we should do uh, a Palace public enemy 11 or a Palace public Ooh. enemy top 10 players. And I Ooh. think players and staff, and I think Klattenberg will be in there, but we will save well, that. He'll, for another... he'll definitely be refereeing the game. He'll be refereeing the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. After the break, then we're going to do oh, Palace robberies for Palace. Shut up, baby. Let me see where you're coming from. Shut up, baby. Let me see. Hey, hit me. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Welcome back to Pardis Hot Pants. We're talking about robberies for and against Palace. We've just done the against ones. And now to make us feel better, here are the robberies for Palace. Jesse, what have you gone for? Well, I sort of started to think about daylight robberies and the different kinds of daylight robberies. And I sort of decided that a sort of smash and grab counts as is a, is a rare breed of the daylight robbery. And then also um, just the good old fashioned shit housing. And um, <laughs> so I've got an example of both. Um, I think... My um, smash and grab is 2016 Arsenal one Palace one. Okay, we oh, didn't yeah. win the game, yeah. but it really feels like we. It feels like it felt like we did because they did their little trick of scoring first at high bet Emirates at the point at which you think it's just gonna it, it's game over because that's just been our our history there. But Balassi, um and this this adds to the it adds a little bit of uh, salt to the wound with an assist from Adebayor. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I think he just got, and from very far out, managed to beat Peter Cech. And I, I was, I think Richard was as well, in, in the posh, in the posh uh, prawn sandwich seats uh, for that game. I yeah, I'm afraid dis- I was. In a, I somehow got a, into an Arsenal executive box with my son. And we were very quiet during the game because there were these stewards and they're very hot on people not being Arsenal fans. But obviously when Belassi's shot went in, we both went up and went, yes! And the steward came up and said, are you Arsenal fans? And I looked at him and said, do I look like an Arsenal fan currently? And he went, no. I said... And he just went, okay, we'll just keep quiet. And I said, okay, sorry. And that was it. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> Jesse, you were in a box quite close to me, apparently. Yeah, I think so. I was right above the away fans. Yeah, that's where um, I was, yeah. Which was a great place to be. I also got a little bit of a reprimand for, for cheering that goal. Um, but I'd made more noise than they did the whole game. So, <laughs> uh, um, And then if you look at the stats from that game, it all, it all swings into the smash and grab territory. Like we had 28 
percent possession. We had seven shots to their twenty-one. We had only three shots on target, uh, and we had about uh, we had thirteen fouls to their seven. So that was a, that was a really nice away day. I'm uh, glad, glad I was there to see that. Um, and then my um, shit housing example is uh, Glen, a Glen Murray masterclass, uh, West West Ham away, um, Palace three, West Ham one, and. I just remember it, but I think I watched it at home actually. But it was just Murray doing his thing. First of all, scored a scored a dodgy header off of a Cresswell uh, reflection, and then he. I remember Scott Dan scored a dodgy header as well off another reflection off Reed. So he sort of do- dominated early, and then um, I remember Murray. He did his. I always call it the, the sort of platoon four. When Murray just lifts up both ankles, yeah. Whenever he's whenever he's under pressure, he lifts up both ankles. It looks like it really disguises the dive. He's an absolute maestro at it, yeah. and he did. He sort of he sort of back to goal. Thought, oh, yeah, I, I could do with a with a free kick from around here. So he sort of did it. One is sort of assisted himself. Sort of chose where his spot kick was going to be, and then scored a great diving head off the back of it, and then managed to get sent off <laughs> with a second yellow for fouling two players all in one swoop. And uh, we said, my work's here's done. Probably just went for an early bath, having scored two goals. And uh, we took home the points. And again, if you look at the stats to that game, it all points to the, a little bit of the same as before. Sort of, um, They had 22 shots. We had 12. We had 19 fouls. And we only had about 30% possession. So there's my smash and grab and my uh, housery, you want to say it again. Very good. I mean, I remember that game, and Murray was was on one. It was a it was a very weird performance, but I think one of those performances actually endeared him even more to Palestine. Especially if he won. If he'd gone on to lose, it might have been different. But that was a and that was him. Possibly was the last away game at West Ham. I think there was one more next season we drew, possibly. But um, one of the last few away games at Upton Park. We're running out of time, guys. Let's Richard. Let's move on to your robbery, which is a more recent one and involves a particular incident. Well, yeah, because I was thinking about it. I, I never, I never think we rob anybody. Uh, <laughs> every win is completely legitimate and justified. Uh, but this one actually was my son who reminded me of this. It was actually this season, uh, Aston Villa at home on the thirty first of August. If you remember, the week before we'd beaten Man United at Old Trafford, so we yes. were on a bit of an up. Villa obviously had just come up via the playoffs. And it's what happens to you when you're a team who've just come up. So we yeah. were we were better than them, let's face it. IU scored quite late on, about 70-odd minute. Trezeguet had been sent off for bringing down Will for the 100th time oh, yeah. uh, in about the 54th minute. So, you know, under the balance of play, we thought, great, we're going to just see out this game. And then in the 96th minute, I'll check this, the 96th minute, Grealish went on one of those runs. And I've got to say, I, I like Grealish. I think he's a good player. But I think he can go down a bit like Murray. And it looked like he uh, he got a push from Wilf just on the, I don't know what Wilf is doing there, just on the edge of our area. And then Cahill pretty much brought him down with a with a bit of a swipe. And then the ball ran to Lansbury and he curls it into the corner. And I, I remember my son and I looked at each other with our heads in our hands and went, oh, my God. After all this, you know, we yeah. haven't won many home games recently over the last couple of seasons. And now we've thrown away this. And literally we were going on to each other going, 
oh, so disappointed. And then suddenly looked up and Kevin Friend was booking Jack Grealish, which has got to be one of the most ridiculous decisions because, A, he was fouled possibly twice. He did not dive. I mean, he does dive sometimes. He did not dive. But also the fact is the ball ran to Lansbury. He put the ball in the net. And it was just ridiculous. But it meant we had three points. I use goal. You know, as we know, I use goals this season are worth a lot of points. He'd scored at Man United the previous week. And I thought it gave everyone, you know, a lift thinking, crikey, actually luck can run for us. So I don't don't think it even went to VAR or friend just decided that was it. And you just think, well, it's going to go to VAR and we're going to be knackered. But it didn't. And we got away with it, and hallelujah. And it gives you a bit of a step as you're walking out of the ground. God is on our side. It, w- it wasn't one of the decisions that can, can go to VAR, I don't think. It's not in the category no, that can be reviewed. Right, yeah. And it's funny, it, it, there's parallels to earlier, because it's similar to the Wickham goal, in that I think uh, Guaita, I think, was in goal. Probably stopped, but in theory, they should have been allowed to play and do it. And 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 it's a referee on our side. And we talked about referees being against us on this podcast. Especially Kevin Friend, who my memory of mm-hmm. him refereeing Palace matches normally is absolutely terrible. But yes. um, he definitely gave us one then. So that is that is a robbery on our side, big time. I'm going to briefly give you two options for my robbery, and then we'll choose our, our biggest one. I was going to go with Watford 2017, uh, when we were 1-0 down, and we were playing... Terrible. It's one of the first games that uh, Roy had been in charge for. We were awful. Uh, and I remember Wilf was getting sticked from the away fans. He was cupping his ears. And I was thinking, oh, God, they've got in Wilf's head. And in the last 10 minutes, Wilf got moved out wide and set up two goals. First for Bakary Sacco and then a superb assist for James MacArthur. And we turned it around. We absolutely did not deserve to win that game at all. So it's very much similar to Jesse's smash and grab. We were awful. And in fact, it was Watford as well, just added to the joy in that one. So I was going to go for that, but I'm going to go for instead a game 16 years earlier at Edgeley Park in Stockport, a game that's been replayed on Palace TV recently. A big game for us that we had to get a result in to save our Division 1 status, which of course we did. And in the lead-up to the goal, David Hopkin performs one of the most blatant handballs that <laughs> football has ever seen. And we talked about robberies against us earlier, particular moments. This is such a robbery. I don't, even if you could argue it's not intentional, he still obviously benefits from the handball. It's such a clear free kick to stop for. Even he thinks it's such a, um, a handball that he panics. And with time around him, could have taken the ball down the path. He just boots it because he's so mm-hmm. embarrassed by the handball. It just so happens that it falls to Morrison, who takes it down with a good touch and feeds Dougie who scores and the rest is history. And of course, because Dougie goes on to score, the referee can't pull it back. It's such a big, can you imagine if the referee pulled that back, that goal and said, sorry, it's handball for Hopkins, which he legitimately could have done. I mean, it's, we got so, so lucky with that handball. And every time that goal is replayed, I see it again. It, they, they, they don't even cut it. They just leave it in, you know, some sort of weird bravado. So yeah, to me, that's a, that's a big, big robbery that, 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 worked for us um that's a that's a classic jim i watched i remember watching the stockport game in addiscombe cricket club uh it was a sunday afternoon and i played sunday league in the morning and after we played sunday league our team used to go to addiscombe cricket club for drinks and whatnot so we watched the palace stockport game there and just went ballistic when Dougie put it in the corner but yeah they, i i it was one of those where similarly to the hillsborough chat all the incidents in that game that we forgot about like the calvin andrew uh, foul and yeah. uh, all those sort of weird and like Tom Saw's coming on that Mike yeah. Dean was refereeing 
there are these things that you should remember you, you don't quite so when they replayed the Stockport one that handball became a glaring fortuitous uh, development so um, it is, you, you've come up with a good one there Jim well let's try and pick one I mean I, I mean I actually think my vote might go to Richard's one this season because because it's quite recent and there's so many uh, reasons that the ref could have not given it. Um, but what are you guys going to go, go for then, Richard, for the worst robbery for us? Well, I'm going to return your favour because I'm going to go for Stockport because uh, Hopkin looking to handle one would be a good <laughs> idea for a, for um, a, a podcast maybe or a website. Um, and also, I was watching that game because it was on a Sunday, as you say, and I was in Shepherd's Bush because it's near where I live and in a pub, you know, surrounded by QPR fans or whatever. And I was just with a mate of mine. And I remember when Doogie put that in, I was so relieved. I smashed my hand on the bar. Unfortunately, it's a very, very heavy wooden bar. And I can tell you, because that was 2001, I still feel that pain. But wow. every time I feel that pain, I just think, that's my doogie pain, so I'm going to have it. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I'll, I'll give you that as the robbery from for us. Yeah, Kevin's got a very different doogie pain, if you want to go into. Um, Jesse, uh, what's your vote? A quick recap from me. Um, I feel like I, Richard is Richard is right with his Grealish one, but I feel like VAR should stand for video-assisted robbery anyway. So <laughs> I, I, I think there's only, there's only going to be more of those as time goes on. Um, I feel like I'm looking at the BBC report for the West Ham one, the, the Murray Masterclass I talked about. The opening line is amazing. Glenn Murray scored twice and was sent off as Crystal Palace recorded an excellent win over West Ham who were booed off by their own fans. I think <laughs> that, <laughs> amazing opener. But um, I, I have to go with yours as well, Jim Stockport. And just, just the sort of uh, amount that, that meant at the time and since yeah. it's, it's, it's got to be uh, the best and most fortuitous example of a Palace Daylight robbery. Uh, and it was David Hopkin coming back, you know, in his second spell. The only thing he did in his second spell, really, for us, let's be honest. Um, good stuff. Well, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our little trip down memory lane with some robberies for and against. Let us know. Tweet us, email us, or if you're in the WhatsApp group for the patrons, let us know what are your favourite robberies for and against. Have we missed any glaring errors? Um, we probably have. But in the meantime, uh, Richard and Jesse, thanks for joining me. Been a pleasure as ever, Jim. Been a pleasure to. Uh, I only connect with you on Zoom, Jesse. It's a bit weird. <laughs> when we get back to watching football, which won't be for a while, then you know we should all meet up and have a Pardew's hot pants party at the pool. We'd, we'd love to do that. This has been another another bout of uh, lockdown therapy. So thanks again, Jim and Richard. Top top lads, and uh, we'll see you again on the FYP podcast very soon. Yeah! When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best, Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. 
but executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.